So this morning, we are continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke, and part of the reason I picked the Gospel of Luke and to start it the way that we did, when we did, is because it really focuses early on in the Gospel of Luke on these birth narratives, these two stories, one about John the Baptist and then one, of course, about Jesus. And these are two births that came about in a very unlikely way. Uh, These are two ladies that weren't supposed to be pregnant. Uh, One seemed to be too old and was said to be barren, and the other is too young and she was a virgin. And so Luke is intertwining these stories and telling us about the birth of both of these babies and the role that they're going to later play in redemptive history. This is uh, just fantastic for us to be together on a Sunday morning, on this Christmas Sunday morning. And in fact, I don't know if you realize this, but this won't happen again because of the way leap year works out. This won't happen again until 2033. So we got a little while uh, before you get a Sunday, before we get to debate what to do on Christmas Sunday again. So those of you who are engaged in that, you have that long to look forward to that again. Last time was 2016 and then, of course, this morning. So it's a, it's a real treat to be here together. So with Luke's gospel, we have a number of intertwinings between these two births, probably worth repeating again for setting up our story this morning. You have Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest. He's on duty on this day when he goes in to light the incense in the holy place, and he would have been chosen by lot. It was probably a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There were thousands of priests, only one high priest, but thousands of priests, and they all had different roles that they served in. They were divided into divisions, and it just so happens that Zechariah was chosen this particular day probably once in a lifetime to go in and light the altar of incense. He's visited, visited by the angel Gabriel at that point, and he's told, he's older at this point in his life, and he's told, your, your wife's going to have a baby. And he says, this isn't possible. She's barren. We're old now, and this isn't going to work. And so he doubts this vision, but of course, the Lord brings it about. So you have the angelic vision, and in a similar way, Mary receives a vision from Gabriel, And she's also told that you're going to have a child. But this time, she's not too old. She's too young. She's probably, she's betrothed to be married. So biologically, of course, and physiologically, she's not too young to have a child, obviously. But she had never known a man. She was a virgin. And so this can't be. This can't come about. But she receives this vision as well. Matthew's account that we read last night And our Christmas Eve service tells us there was angelic vision also with Joseph, and he's told what's going on, and the angel visits him a few different times, Gabriel and then an unnamed angel, perhaps Gabriel, but not named, a couple other times, instructing him on where to go and what to do. So there's a number of other similarities. I've just got a few up here. This is actually a much longer study. But the name of the baby is given in both situations, the miracle of conception, which we've already talked about. And then there's an extended song of reflection, which we'll get into uh, next week with Mary's song, and then after that with Zechariah's song after he's born. So you have represented here these two babies, and we could also say, as Lig Duncan talked about in his sermon on this particular text, you really have a collision of the covenants here. You have John the Baptist, who represents the last of the prophets of the old covenant, and you have Jesus, who's going to be the mediator of the new covenant. So this is a massive moment in human history. It's incredible what's going on. And so the story we're going to find ourselves in today 
is after they've both received these visions, they're both pregnant, Mary and also Elizabeth, they're going to meet. Mary is going to go and she's going to meet her relative, Elizabeth, and it is a fantastic story and a fantastic meeting. The title for our sermon today, I'm going to give you a second to let this one sink in. Some of y'all have already been hyped up on cinnamon rolls this morning, so you may have to come out of the coma here for a second. The unexpectedly expectant are expecting expectantly. People ask me sometimes, do you practice sermons at home? I never do, but I actually did practice that phrase a couple times because that one's tricky. I'm not going to say it too many times because it's going to get me eventually. Unexpectedly expectant. So what we're saying with that is simply that they were not expecting to expect. They were not expecting a baby for the reasons that we've already mentioned. Elizabeth is old. Mary is a virgin. They shouldn't be the ones having babies, but here they are. But what we see in Elizabeth and also with Mary, with Mary in particular, which we'll look at a little bit more next time, that we see this embracing of God's plan despite the difficulty that it's going to bring, despite the reproach that it's going to bring, despite all of that, they both jump all in, say, all right, this is what the Lord is doing. We're in. And so that's what we're going to see this morning is these two ladies that jump in with both feet to God's plan and mission for them here at this first original Christmas season, the advent of Christ. So with Elizabeth, let's talk about her for just a moment here. She stands in a long line of women who were said to be barren and then have a child, and the Lord does something significant with those children. We have Sarah. Of course, she bore the covenant son, Isaac, and there's a number of chapters. These aren't all directly, not every chapter is specifically focused on this, but the story starts in Genesis 11 with this barren woman and the promise that's made to her in chapter 12, and then that gets extended out until Isaac is finally born in chapter 21. So this takes up a major piece of real estate in the book of Genesis. And then we have Rebecca, similar story. She's said to be barren, then starts having kids. Rachel, said to be barren, starts having kids. Samson's mom from Judges 13, we're fast forwarding quite a few years in history, but Samson's mom is said to be barren, and then she would end up having Samson, who would be the judge, one of the deliverers of Israel. And then, of course, Hannah, who ends up having Samuel. And the book of Samuel starts out with his own birth and his own mom, Hannah, who cried out to the Lord day after day after day for a child. And then finally, the Lord gives her that, um, as she is said to be barren as well. So this is Elizabeth. She stands in this long line, and that would not have been lost on a first century person. They knew these stories. They knew what was going on. And so they're, they're clicking in pretty quickly to what's happening and what the, the Lord is up to something. He's bringing about a baby in an unexpected place at an unexpected time. God's on the move. He's up to something. So as we walk through this, this will be just a brief reflection on this meeting. We're going to see some qualities that we can see from these two ladies and their service of the Lord. Let's read the story It's brief, but it's really profound. uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. All right, qualities of the Lord's servants. First, we see eagerness. It says, the ESV translation, some of you may be looking at a different translation. It says that Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. She takes off. She hears the story, and we know, just if you do a little bit of the timeline here, it could not have been that long because it was a few days to get there. We'll call it a week, probably a little under that. It's 80 to 100 miles, something like that. She's pregnant, and she takes off. And it says she arrived in the sixth month, and then she stayed about three months until John the Baptist, what John, who is later known as John the Baptist, was born. So we know that it couldn't have been that long. So shortly after this angelic visit, she takes off. She's like, I got to go. I got to go hear about this. I got to go see my relative Elizabeth. So 80 to 100 miles. The journey would have looked something like this. If you've ever, uh, if you like maps and such, I always do. I typically try to look those up when I'm studying something. So she's in Nazareth, where she was visited by the angel, and she would have gone down to the hill country, which was just south of Jerusalem, uh, down here in Judea. Now, you might say, well, that's kind of a long route there. The reason they did that is because they wouldn't go through, walk through the land of the Samaritans, and this becomes part of the story that we'll see later in Luke of the Good Samaritan, the one uh, they didn't associate with these folks. So they would kind of walk around this way um, in order to get there. There were other roads. There were roads this way, but this was probably the most likely route. So 80 to 100 miles, quite a bit of elevation gain uh, once you got down to Jerusalem and you head out into the hill country. And it's quite a journey that she takes off on. Quite a journey. All right, so she, uh, she eagerly sets out, and she takes the initiative to go and visit Elizabeth. Now, what's interesting about this account is it starts out with Mary and her initiative to go see her cousin, or Elizabeth. She might have been a cousin. We're not told specifically that. But not much else is said about Mary, it's at, or about Mary's response to her, what Mary actually said. That's not part of the dialogue. What's part of the dialogue is Elizabeth's response to Mary. So let's see it. So verse 39, in those days, Mary went out with haste to the hill country to a town in Judea, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, she's, uh, this is 80 to 100 miles away, as I mentioned, and things that I read, they said, People typically, if you really wanted to get somewhere, you could travel somewhere around 20 miles a day on foot. Now, that's quite a haul. Some of y'all are like, I've been to Disney and tracked my steps, and it was like, you know, that eight, nine mile thing. Um, You're kind of feeling it the next day. So you're pregnant, and you're walking, quite a bit of elevation gain. So this is quite a commitment. 20 miles a day is roughly what people would travel in that day. Every time I study a little bit of the ancient world, I just sort of feel like, soft, you know? It's like 80 to 100 miles, like, can we get an Uber? Like, there's no, no other way to make this work. No, if you want to get somewhere, you're typically walking. You know, maybe you, had, uh, maybe you had a donkey or something like that, but typically you're walking, you're on foot. So that's a, it's quite a journey, and she takes off, 
And that, that really highlights, why, why does Luke tell us that she went in haste, eagerly? I think she's excited about what the Lord's up to, and that's why Luke tells us that she went, and she's just, she can't wait to go see her relative. So she enters the house, and she greets Elizabeth, and then we're not told anything else that Mary said. We have a good reflection from her later on, starting in verse 46, that'll be next time. But she enters, and she greets Elizabeth, and then Elizabeth sort of takes over the dialogue from there. So we see this eagerness on the part of Mary to be a part of what the Lord is up to. We'll talk about this more right at the end, but I think we can learn a little something from this. Um, To obey the Lord in haste, to eagerly obey the Lord. You know, wise planning and prudence are good, but don't hesitate to do what you know is right before the Lord. Don't hesitate, Just, just go all in. James said to those who know the right thing to do and don't do it, it's what? Sin. It's sin to know the right thing to do and to not do it. Maybe there's an apology that you need to issue. Maybe an apology you need to receive. Maybe there's a, something you need to do, a situation you need to make right. Do it in haste. Just, just do it. As a Christian, you've you got to repent. You've got to come around eventually, right? The Lord's going to work on you. He's not going to let go of you. Just do it. Just do it now. Don't let those things sit. In haste, eagerness. Next, let's see the joy. Elizabeth, I I wish we had a little bit more about Elizabeth in the story because she seems like such a godly lady. Everything she says is presented to us in such a positive way. Mary enters, she greets Elizabeth, and then look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, she interprets this leaping in the womb as the baby is excited to meet the Savior, Jesus, who's in Mary's womb. Unbelievable. I've never had a baby in my womb for obvious reasons, but it's got to be a strange experience. Many of you can tell me about that firsthand. Strange experience. So a six-month-old moving in the womb is nothing all that different or significant, but this coincides with this greeting and it's interpreted and says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an unbelievable moment. Elizabeth gets it. She's from a priestly family. Her dad was a priest. Now she's married to a priest. She knows her Old Testament. She knows what's going on and she is in this moment and she's realizing what the Lord is up to and what he's doing. In fact, John, it says over in Luke 1 15, And he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And then it says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, that's an interesting statement coinciding with this, isn't it? He's going to be filled with the Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, just a little bit of redemptive history here. The Holy Spirit, what we would call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the permanent presence of the Spirit within the life of a believer, hasn't happened yet. That will come later. We'll, we'll see that more as we move through Luke. That comes later. So this is a special moment when the Spirit is given and it stays here with John. It's a ministry. So the Spirit would come down for an enabling ministry on particular people. And this baby, this baby is going to have that from the very beginning. So we see joy in God's plan 
And then we also see joy in God's servants. Look at what she says about Mary, her younger relative. Mary, she's only, as I mentioned, she's probably somewhere between 13 and 16 as this is all going down, just to put things in perspective. And her older relative, perhaps a cousin, says, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted fruit to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She is so excited that the Lord is using her relative to bring about the Messiah. Now, you gotta be careful building your argument from white spaces in the Bible, but it is kind of interesting that Luke doesn't record anything about her own joy in her pregnancy. The only thing that we have is uh, her reflection just before this that uh, she withdraws herself for a series of months, for five months, and she praises the Lord. He's taken away my reproach among women, and now we see this the joy of meeting Mary and knowing that she's going to be the one to bear the Messiah. I think this is a good lesson for us as well. I've seen it. You've probably seen it too. Something that we'll call kingdom envy. People that are jealous maybe of the gifts and opportunities that others have in life. I think we see it sometimes. We all have issues with jealousy and envy. This time of year, even comparing gifts amongst people. Hey, what'd you get for Christmas? I got a bike, a bicycle. Oh, that's great. My parents gave me a motorcycle. I'm like, oh, well, great. You know, that's exciting. I was listening to a podcast not long ago, and they were talking about end of the year, uh, end of the year uh, sales and uh, talking, and it was, they did an interview with people who make the big, uh, the big red bows that you put on cars, you know, when you're giving a car away. Um, I've always wondered, like, who does that, really? Like, giving away a car, that's a significant event. And they were talking about the sales of these bows are down, and what's the indicators that that gives us as far as, like, car sales and that kind of thing. It was an interesting podcast. But just imagine you're, you're in the cul-de-sac, and you're watching this go down in the neighbor, neighbor's, you know, house across the street. Um, you're watching through the window, and you see the big bow on the car. All of a sudden, your gift exchange just looks a little different, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like, well, I, you know, I got you a new spatula. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, and, and so I, I think you could sense a little bit of this maybe with Elizabeth, who's in a very, very, very privileged position. But now she's just rejoicing because her situation has been trumped, and she's so happy about it. I, there's no kingdom envy here. It's look at what the Lord is doing with my relative. This is amazing. Jesus is going to come from her. It's an amazing thing. Blessed are you among women. It's high praise, very high praise. I think maybe some of us have a little bit of a reaction when we see Mary being praised, Mary being called blessed. And I think maybe some of that is because of maybe some of the teaching of the Catholic Church and the history and context uh, of that. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, though. Uh, This is high praise for Mary. And next week, or next time, it'll be two weeks from today, we'll see Mary's reflection. We'll see her understanding of her role. She really was favored. She really was blessed. And she's not a co-redemptrix. There's nothing like that going on in this text. But she is viewed in a very positive way as one who was used incredibly by the Lord. So we, just, we can recognize that. 
So joy in God's plan, joy in God's servants. We've already bounced off this a little bit, but next let's look at humility. Look at what she says, similar point, verse 43. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What? Who am I? Why should you come to me? There's no time to figure out who's number one, who's number two here. In sports, a lot of times, I love sports, love listening to people banter about sports. I, I think it's a little bit of a relief for me because I, I don't really care all that much, but I do like the game, and I just I kind of like watching people, other people get worked up about something that I don't really care that much about. It's just kind of entertaining, like, you guys are really into this, and it's kind of funny just watching you go back and forth because I really don't care all that much. It's, it's great, but... But the endless debates are about who's number one, who's number two, who's the number one receiver, who's the number two. Well, he's got to get more touches than this guy and this guy, and this guy's making, you know, $8 million, and this guy's making $8.25 million. And so, like, you got to give this guy the ball more. I'm like, are you serious? Like, we're, this is what we're doing? It's amazing to me. There's endless conversations about all times greats, and it's just human nature. I just don't even think you see a hint of that sort of thing going on here. They are so thrilled to be a part of God's plan. Whatever it is, whatever gifts, whatever role he's given me, I'm in. There's just, there's just a certain humility that comes through in these passages. And you'll see it also with Mary's song next. Why is it that you should come visit me? Verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. She leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. By the way, this is uh, just a footnote on this text. It's not the point of the text, but I think it's a significant footnote. Sometimes we get into the conversation about what's the Bible's perspective on life, and even pre-born life. Is the baby a real human being? And more technically now, is it a person? And I think what we see clearly in a passage like this coming out is the Bible's perspective is that baby is a real human person in the image of God, created with all the protections that we should afford them, no matter. A human's a human, no matter how small. They are a person, to quote the great Dr. Seuss, modified. No matter how small, this little tiny one has the spirit of God rejoicing at another little tiny one in the womb of his mother. I think Christians, of all people, we need to take a view and a perspective. All life is precious from the very, very beginning stages. This is just one text, and again, it's not the main point of the text, but I think it does give us a window into how Christians should think about these types of things. Humility. And then lastly, faith. Notice that she praises Mary not just because of her position, but also because she believed. Verse 45, and blessed is she who believed, talking about Mary, that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She believes. It took a lot of faith to believe what was going to happen. You're a virgin. You're going to give birth. This one is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. Elizabeth and Mary, they are filled with prophecies of the Old Testament. They understood. They had a sense of what was going on. Let's think uh, beyond this a little bit. 
the promise was made that this baby would be born, but the promise really moves way beyond that. You see, babies are just potential. That's why I think one of the reasons why we love babies so much. Just pure potential. What are they going to be? What are they going to do when they grow up? What kind of personalities are they going to have? What are they going to accomplish? And this Christmas season, I think we need to carefully think beyond just the manger, beyond just the crib. I think part of the reason the culture gives us Christmas, and you can talk so openly about Christ, and you walk in your stores, and they're singing about Christ, I think it's partly because he's still in a manger. He's still, it's just cute. Babies are cute. They're non-threatening. I'm a little scared of them, but they're non-threatening for the most part. They're not leading revolts and that sort of thing. I think we need to think beyond that. If we stop at the Christmas story and don't consider what happens next, it's just a sentimental story about two ladies having a babies. It's just a sentimental story. We need to grab the Easter story as well. We need to consider what Christ came to do. He came to give his life a ransom. He came to live a perfect life. He came to fulfill the law. He came to ultimately defeat death, to take our death, to take our sin on the cross. So a few reflections I'll leave you with today. Number one is this. Carefully consider why Jesus came. We talk a lot about the fact that he came. I want you to think about why Jesus came. If this was somebody stopped you this afternoon and said, hey, you went to church this morning. So I've heard a little bit about Jesus. Why did he come? What would your answer be? How would you answer that question, the why question? Not the what question or the how question. The why question. What's your answer to that? Let's reflect on that. He came to give his life. Next, consider whether you are obeying eagerly or in haste. Is there something that's left undone? Is there something in your life that you realize that you need to take care of? Some conversation that you've been putting off. Obey in haste. Clear your conscience. Obey the Lord. Don't wait. Jump into his plan with both feet. And then lastly, I think we need to all check our own hearts for kingdom envy. Am I envious of other people? Maybe the role that they have uh, in the body of Christ. Maybe the gifts that somebody else has. And like, well, if I could just sing like that, or if I could just talk like that, or if I could just do this, or I could just do that, or if I just had these kinds of resources. I think those are, that's the wrong perspective. I think what we need to be asking is, what has the Lord given me what are my gifts? What's my personality, my resources? My, how can I use whatever the Lord has given me? That's the right perspective, not if I could do this. If you start the question and the, the conversation, rather, if you start it with, if I had, you've probably started on the wrong foot. If I could do this, if I could just have that, if I could just do this, check your heart for kingdom envy We could broaden out the application of that, of course, to envy in general, especially this time of year, right? It's a great irony every year to me that Black Friday follows Thanksgiving Day. I mean, really? The cognitive dissonance of that is just amazing to me. But we, we are eaten up with it this time of year, looking at somebody else and wanting to compare ourselves. Don't do that. Look at what the Lord's given you. How has he gifted you? And what can you, how can you serve him with the capacity, with time, talents, resources that he's given you? He's given you those gifts for a specific reason. Well, if you're here this morning and maybe 
considering for the first time or maybe first time in a long time who Jesus actually was. Is he worth living for? Is he actually the Savior? I hope that maybe something in this text, something that we've said this morning, something in one of the songs has really made, given you something to think about this Christmas day and this Christmas season. It's not just that Jesus came. Historically, very, very few historians would deny that there was an actual historical Jesus. That's like universally accepted. There's too much data. But the question is why? Who was he? What was his identity? Do we believe that he was who he said he was? Do we believe that he was the one born of a virgin, given for our sins? Do we believe that? And is he worth living for? I would argue yes. Yes, the Bible is true. He's worth living for. Everything here, you can trust it. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for an opportunity to look together at your word. And Lord, even on this Christmas Sunday morning, it's just a special time for us to reflect on who you are and what you've done. Lord, help us to not stop our thoughts just simply at a sentimental scene of a young lady at a, at a crib, a makeshift crib, a manger. Lord, we pray that it wouldn't just stop there. We pray that we would be able to think carefully about why Jesus came. He came as an answer for sin. Lord, we all have sin. We all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Everybody in this room, I believe, has an innate sense that they have not lived up to your standard. And they know that because their own conscience condemns them and tells them that they've not always done the right thing. They've not always said the right thing. They've not always gone the right places, protected the right people, sometimes lashed out and hurt other people. We all have a sense of guilt for the things that we've done. And we carry this around. Jesus is the answer for that. He took our guilt, he took our shame, and he bore it on the cross so that now we can live with clear consciences and free consciences before the Lord. So God, we pray that you would help us to take these things to heart, help us to eagerly serve in whatever capacity you've given us. We praise things in Christ's name, amen.